This week on the Rail Sweater Podcast, we are back as a team of three, and we are just going to have a little chat about that. Frontier of hope and possibility. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes! Welcome to the Real Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your co host, Mary, and joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Nick. What up, Rail Split Nash? We're back here, you know, shooting the shit and talking and whatnot. And the reason we are back now as a trio joining us tonight is Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hello, everyone. Uh, it is great to be back, and I can't wait to fill everyone in on what I've been doing and where the show's going to kind of keep progressing and uh, kind of catching up with everybody. So uh, thank you for welcoming me back. I enjoyed last episode, and I'm happy to be here for this one as well. It's great to have you back. And um, so, uh, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, you know, I've been mowed uh, <laughs> the lawn today. Did some electrical work. Well, I didn't really. They came out. You know, nothing much. Uh, oh, that wasn't at me, was it? <laughs> so, uh, once again, I know I mentioned this last episode, but once another thank you to Mary and Nick for uh, carrying on the real spur tradition and keeping the show actually improving the show. Um, so I'm really happy that um, just kind of where the rail splitter is and where it's going. Um, I like that we're all hosting and kind of sharing this whole crazy experience. Um, it was uh, definitely, um, I just had a lot going on. I think I, you know, I kind of talked about why I was stepping away a little bit Um the last episode, or I guess the first episode that I wasn't really on the show. Um, but as you know, Nick and I work in a public uh, school system here in Illinois. Um, and this last semester was um, by far the busiest and craziest and most insane semester I've ever had, um, both as a teacher and now I'm in the, on the dark side, as Nick would say, in administration. But I just had a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I have – a family as well, uh, and two amazing children and, uh, um, you know, an amazing spouse. Um, and I just, uh, needed to make sure that I had my priorities in line and the rail splitter is certainly a priority of mine, but I just knew that that was one area where I had tremendous support and would be able to kind of take a step back and it would be fine without me. I obviously can't take a step back from my family because I don't think they'd be fine without me. <laughs> um, and of course my work, uh, again, my family probably wouldn't be fine if I took a step back from work. So, um, so once again, thank you, Mary and Nick for uh, handling everything. So just a quick update on what I've been up to. Um, a major reason that the semester was so busy for me, um, was because I was writing my dissertation, um, uh, for, my doctorate degree that I've been working on. So I've submitted that. So that part is done. Um, and I will defend it, uh, on July 22nd. So hopefully that goes well. Uh, and then I'll be done for the most part for all intents and purposes. I'll be done with school, which is kind of bittersweet. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm super into not having school anymore. Um, as I'm sure a lot of listeners can probably empathize with, we're all kind of students of history. So I certainly plan on uh, continuing to grow. And I may, now that I'm, they call it a terminal degree, which I, I don't like the adjective terminal because, you know, it just sounds yeah, bad. No. Yeah. Uh, but they call doctorate degrees terminal degrees. So uh, just because I'm not going to pursue another degree, I, you know, maybe it frees me up to take a, just take a history course at the community college or, or at the or at Northern Illinois university or something. So I may do that. Um, if I get the itch to, to go back to school again, but, um, I did a lot of work with, um, my dissertation. Um, I worked with a group of students that created a documentary, which is similar to the work Nick does year after year. So he's probably like, man, that's my life. That's, that's my stress level always. Um, but, uh, you know, I got, you know, pretty intense. And, uh, I worked with a group of seven students who created a documentary about the history of our community, which, um, 
worked out pretty well. So, um, anyway, uh, so that's kind of professionally what I've been up to. Obviously I have a job where I, um, work with teachers and students and do a lot of curriculum stuff. Um, but in addition to that, I was working on a dissertation, um, which if you're really interested, once I publish it, you're welcome to read it. It's 150 pages of all kinds of stuff. So, um, so after July 22nd, I'll be pretty much done with that because that's when I defend my dissertation. Um, I've done some traveling, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit um, because I definitely have done some historic stuff. I, I haven't done anything historic. I've gone to places where historic <laughs> things happened. Uh, very important distinction there. Um, so I'd love to fill you in on a little bit of that. Um, and I've just been enjoying the Rail Splitter podcast. Uh, and um, some other stuff. I haven't done a whole lot of reading, unfortunately, in Lincoln or anything else just because I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, but I'm at a point now where um, without any classes or writing to do, I'm going to be able to focus on the podcast and reading and all kinds of stuff. So um, once again, thanks, uh, Rail Splitter Nation, for welcoming me back and um, happy to be part of the show. Um, so, yeah. That's that's what I've been up to for the last. It was a little longer than I originally intended it to be. Um, so yeah, I'll fill you in on some stuff. I did do a little bit of reading that I'll fill you in on a little bit too. But um, so yeah, that's where I've been. Um, I don't know if you all wanted to. I don't know if you've done uh, a whole lot of filling in the, the audience on what you all been reading or doing or anything outside of the specific topics of the podcast. Um, but maybe that could be interesting to me as well because yeah. Well, I've been, I've obviously done a bit of reading. I finished uh, Noah Andre Trudeau's book, Gettysburg, A Testing of Courage, which was really a great, you know, recount of the Battle of Gettysburg. Trudeau is such a, um, he's somewhere between academic and I want to say down to earth writer that it will play out in your head like a movie and you get to know the soldiers who fought there because he's using these firsthand accounts as he writes it. And, um, it's a really, really good book. Um, I also read, um, I don't know how well this is going to go over. I read my first Confederate general biography, Patrick Claiborne. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually did, um, I've started doing Facebook lives on my civil war fangirl pa Facebook page, which is, was out of my comfort zone at first, but I have to say, um, after doing a whole bunch of them over Gettysburg anniversary, I've come to really embrace them and see them as part of bringing history to people. And, you know, um, a lot of good discussion happens around them, but I did a Facebook live at this, um, in Ringgold Gap, Georgia, which was a combination of telling the life of Patrick Claiborne, but also talking about that I was standing right where General Sherman started his march to the sea. Wow. That's so, pretty awesome. So that was really like, when I discovered where we were, um, I had initially went to find this, this Claiborne statue. Cause no, cause some of my followers said, Oh, we don't know where that is. Where is it? Go find it. Cause I was in Chattanooga. So I went to find it. And then I found this plaque for where the march, basically where the march to the sea had begun in Ringgold Gap, Georgia. And that was where he went into Georgia, eventually took Atlanta and went to Savannah. Um, so yeah, I finished the biography about Cap Patrick Claiborne. I've listened to the audiobook version of Jeff Shiraz's um, Smoke at Dawn, which is about the siege of Chattanooga. And if you've never read or listened to Jeff Shiraz's books... You need to. If you've ever wanted to hang out with General Grant, General Sherman, that's the way to do it. Yeah, they're fun reads. Yeah, I would, I would vouch for that. Yeah, and the audiobooks are even, um, I think it's the guy's name, I think he's Paul Michael. He's an excellent narrator. He gives all the characters different voices. And... Like Hey, I'm Sherman. Yeah, very fine. Oh, well, this is General Grant talking. <laughs> no, it's really so. Um, in the smoke at dawn, for instance, he like Braxton Bragg is a character, and he gives him this really kind of like obviously. Can you do? 
Can you give us an example? No, I cannot. Brax the Brag. No, no. Brax the Brag no, here. Yeah, that's sort of it. But Bragg's character is so annoying and whiny. I'm Brax the Brag. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, Nick's doing it perfectly. Um, but then... Let's throw names out. Who you got for me next? Grant. I already did Grant. Hey, hey, Sherman, get over here. <laughs> I just want to say, like, it's it to me. I really like the fact that that you're talking about audiobooks because, like, I'm super into audiobooks, mm. um, and like, you know, you've re- you read a lot of pretty hardcore history, Mary, like, like intense Civil War biographies yeah. and whatnot. Um, but I really like the medium of the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I've kind of engaged in the conversation. Like, can you say you've read the book? And there are actually studies that like you have looked at people's like, you know, brain activity when they're reading and when they're listening to audiobooks, and it's like roughly the same, like parts of your brain that are active. So I think it counts as reading. I completely agree with you. Like, and I finished, I didn't want to finish the smoke at dawn. And honestly, it was my second time listening to that audiobook because it is so well done. Mm-hmm. I love all the characters in it. The character development that um, Shara does is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's historical fiction, but you feel like you're hanging out with them. And each chapter is from the perspective of a different historical figure. You know, so he's got in Smoke at Dawn, he's got Sherman, he's got Grant, he's got Braxton Bragg, he's got this Confederate cavalry officer named Seeley. Um, there is a Union officer named Bauer, and then there's Patrick Claiborne, and they're all different. I am anti audiobooks because I'm all about marketing here on the Rail Splitter, and we're almost up to 100 episodes. Therefore, I believe if you have earphones on and you are listening to something historical it should be us ranting <laughs> and raving about the great lincoln in the civil war era <laughs> if for then, some reason you have listened to all of our episodes three times then i give you permission <laughs> to listen to an audiobook um yeah I, so obviously you, you guys don't care anything about the rail splitter episode uh there's no good audiobooks you don't want to listen to them read them Stick to podcast, rail splitter, first on the list. You actually do make a good point because my podcast listening significantly decreases based on the quality of the audiobook I'm currently on. Oh my like, so if my I'm dear. if I'm in a good audiobook, podcast take a backseat. So um I do not do audiobooks at all. I could I do podcasts I like crazy. It, it like in the car on podcasts, like if I'm like just working around the house podcast. I can't do audiobooks. It's, uh, I have to say, like, when I, I'm going to Ohio in a couple couple weeks to hang out with some friends, and I just started listening to the, the final book in the Shara, like, the Western Theater, the, I guess you would call it a quadrology. There's four books. I don't know what you would call that. <laughs> um, and it's about the Sherman's March to the Sea, and it's 25 hours, and I'm about two hours into it, so I figure oh I will God. have a huge chunk to listen to. Mm-hmm. Are you driving by yourself? Yes, I am, and that's exactly what Thank I'm going to listen to. Thank God for Jer. Oh, I know. <laughs> Do you make him listen to so, audiobooks? No, I don't. No, we have this playlist. <laughs> What's the oh, playlist? Awesome. What's on the I playlist? Want... Because like... you said it very, like, we have this playlist, like you didn't <laughs> want to say it. Because it's a mix of his music and my music. I feel bad for him. Sorry for him, I mean. All right. Yeah. So what the hell, dude? Come on. <laughs> he's, he's, he's being Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's all no Civil kidding. War. Yours is all like Civil War era, isn't it? So, I have March to the Sea. Like, I have Marching Through Georgia on there by Old Crow Medicine Show. Oh, they're so good. I know. I love Old Crow. I've seen them twice, and it was amazing both times. I might go see them on August 9th in Detroit. Oh, nice. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah, is that the theater in Detroit? I think it's called the Fillmore. Um, just yeah. while we're on the subject of audiobooks, real quickly, I'm off. Not I'm not off, but I'm considering leaving the Audible app. Mm-hmm. I love the Audible app. I just joined it, but too. I love the Audible app, and I'll tell you the extent to which in a second. But I've just started listening to books on Cloud Library. Because on Cloud Library, if you have a library card, and this may be specific to American audiences, but uh, 
all you need is an address uh, for a library card and I have access to all the audiobooks that the library, my local library has. So I've been able to read or listen to a bunch of audiobooks for free. Whereas Audible, you got to pay like 15 bucks a month. Yeah. But I've been on Audible, the Audible app for a long time. I just pulled it up. My listening time for audiobooks on Audible, one month, 23 days, 14 hours, and 10 minutes. Oh, now i got to look at mine. A month of my life, almost two months, one month, 23 days. That's how much audiobooks I've listened to. So they have like different like levels. You can be a newbie, a novice, a professional, scholar, master. I've reached master status. Um, I've listened to about 120. I've listened to 123 audiobooks. So that's a lot of listening time. But I like road trips. I like to like when I work out. I listen to audiobooks. So people probably think I've got some intense like music going on, and I'm not that intense of a fitness person. Please don't misunderstand me. But uh, it's just a nice person. Reading me a story. Yep. So. And I mean, I yeah. I work in the library, so I've got to push the whole, like, we also have a similar, what did you say it was called, Jeremy? That you? I use Cloud Library. Cloud Library. Yeah, we have one at, um, my, which here in County Library, um, we have one called Hoopala. And there's a couple other ones we have. Yeah, too, that, but, we have that one as well, yeah. But yeah, if you... If you go in your local library, they often will have these now because libraries like to, you know, stay like, I don't want to say it's trendy, but they want to have, you know, enough different things for their patrons to access different materials. Like you can download these audiobooks for free mm-hmm. and you have them for, for us, it's a period of 14 days and then they just kind of like they'll expire and disappear. But, you know, if you can't get, if, audible subscription is not um feasible for you then check out your local library because they probably will have an option for you to be able to access the audiobooks and ours also offer um ebooks too yeah so the, uh, cloud well. library has ebooks yeah. so like yeah. i'm reading an ebook and i'm listening to an audiobook the only drawback ish uh you only get your titles for 21 days which mm-hmm. is like a normal library yeah um and there's there's wait times so like um i'll put a book on hold but it's 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 like a checkout process so like mm-hmm. like today i got a book that was on hold for like two weeks well like it came in two weeks early so I'm like oh man i'm in the middle of an audiobook and i got one that i've been waiting for yeah um so you know first world problems but but anyway audiobooks um and, and i've been i kind of had to train weirdly kind of train my brain to like be able to process that, especially when I'm running. Yeah. Uh, but I really, really, really do like them. Um, and you can, the Lincoln, uh, library or whatever on audiobooks is, is really good. Civil War too. Um, if you really want, you can read Berlin game, Berlin games, two volume Lincoln biography is available on audio and it's actually pretty decent narration. I read volume one, I like literally read volume one. I have volume two in audiobook, and I was kind of doing a read and listen kind of thing going for a while. Um, but it's, but I kind of got away from it a little bit just cause I was reading some other stuff, but, um, yeah, audio, audio works for sure. So I listened um, to fierce Patriot, um, biography. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it was, so it's my second time. Like I read it once and then I was like, Hey, I want a refresher, but I don't have time to read it right now. So I'll listen to it. And like there was points where I was like laughing out loud because the way Robert L. O'Connell writes it is he's so down to earth. He's not an academic writer, but he throws this humor into it. And the way he tells Sherman's story is just like he has these one liners that are just like I would burst out laughing as I listen to it. And it's very much he's such an engaging writer. But not only that, it's about the narrator, too. The narrator was so engaging. Mm -hmm. And brought that story to life. Um, Just to kind of piggyback off that, uh, I did um, kind of take on a a somewhat daunting audio book, which is called These Truths, um, which is one of the best books I've read or listened to in a really long time. It's a single volume history of the United States um, by Jill Lepore. 
so that's the most in, you know kind of in my time away from the podcast um uh, one of the the really deep uh history books that i've read so it's kind of i think a lot of critics are kind of looking at it as like um uh 2019 kind of um history that's i, I would i compare it to howard zinn which is getting a little dated now um it's similar to that kind of vein. It's, it's, it's very much a people, you know, of course, Howard Zinn was all people's history. Literally that was the title, but like this is very much um, uh, a look at United States history from a perspective of um, not necessarily leaders and wars as much as like um, the American people and, and how that that's kind of worked for them. Very, very, very much recommended. If you're looking for a single volume history of the United States, um, outstanding. Um, talking about Lincoln, um, and if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'm going to read just a little bit of the, the actual book to you. Um, I am not an audible or audiobook narrator. They're way better than I am, just so you know. Um, but her writing about Lincoln's death impacted me pretty deeply. I thought it was just so profound the way that um, she talked about it. She starts by saying, by taking some uh, firsthand accounts of the event, uh, specifically talking about one black woman who said, we've lost our Moses. Another who said he was crucified for us in Pennsylvania. Um, the, the person was in Pennsylvania when she said this, and this is talking about the funeral train. Um, you know, and then of course there were people who celebrated it in the South, uh, but talking about the funeral train as it snaked across the country and, and ended up in Springfield, um, Illinois, um, she says, Jill Lepore says, uh, if he had uttered no dying words, he had left many last words forever remembered and etched in stone with the nation still draped in black. The 13th amendment Lincoln's last legacy went to the States when it was finally ratified on December 6th, 1865, one California congressman declared the one question of the age is settled. A great debate had ended. A terrible war had been won. Slavery was over. But the unfinished work of a great nation remained undone. The struggle for equality had only just begun. Lincoln would remain a man trapped in time. In the click of a shutter and by the trigger of a gun. In mourning him in sepia and yellow and black and white. Beneath the plates of glinting glass, Americans deferred a different grief. A vaster and more dire reckoning with centuries of suffering and loss, not captured by any camera, not settled by any amendment. The injuries wrought on the bodies of millions of men, women, and children, stolen, shackled, hunted, whipped, branded, raped, starved, and buried in unmarked graves. No presidents consecrated their cemeteries or delivered their Gettysburg Address. No committee of arrangement built monuments to their memory. With Lincoln's death, it was as if millions of people had been crammed into his tomb, trapped in a vault that could not hold them. Damn. Wow. When I read that or when in that audiobook, that particular audiobook is actually read by Jill Lepore herself. But like those two paragraphs about Lincoln's death are the in my opinion, the best two paragraphs that I've ever read. They really encapsulated what his death was, mm-hmm. who his death could, you know, the fact that just that, just, I mean, God, the brilliant writing of saying that he's this, you know, he's a man trapped in time and that in his death, millions of people are crammed into his tomb. Of course, talking about enslaved people. Oh man, that was like, just, just brilliant the way that she worded it. And I, I sat with that for quite a long time. So I recommend the book. Of course, the whole book is similar to that, but that's, that's like almost exactly halfway through the book, very much looking at Lincoln's death in the civil war as the turning point in American history, which many of us of course do, but to, but that, that wording of, you know, how we look at Lincoln. And I think that's kind of the whole theme of this podcast in general. Like it's not about Lincoln. I mean, obviously it is about Lincoln, but it's not just about him. Like what does he embody? What does he mean? Um, And, and her saying like who there are not monuments for, and who are not included in that narrative, but who Lincoln has come to represent Mm -hmm. and who, you know, and like that imagery of them being crammed into his tomb and who also died with Lincoln. 
I just thought was was absolutely brilliant. So thank you for allowing me to kind of read that to you all. No, that was awesome. Um, in, real, in, in real splitter niche, as Nick now says. But um, but anyway, the book is These Truths by Jill Lepore, and, and that was something that resonated with me um, very, very strongly. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's one thing. Like sometimes, like, like I said, like reading Fierce, I read Fierce Patriot, but then listening to the audiobook stuff resonates with you more and it's just the same with listening to the Shara novels things are resonating with me more from the audiobook because and it it is all about the narrator too like mm-hmm. well it's kind of like if somebody gave you the script to Lincoln yeah and you read it and then you listen to Daniel Day-Lewis deliver the dialogue yes. like yeah. In my head, I learned a lot, and yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. But then I heard Daniel Day Lewis perform it, and I'm like, "Yeah, good." The, like, okay, so much yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, not to say that your inner voice isn't brilliant. I'm sure it is. It's but not. Daniel Day Lewis's Lincoln is better than my inner voice reading Lincoln's words yeah. for sure. Nick, you need to start reading or reading, listening to audiobooks. No, go with reading. I like using the verb reading. Yeah, I consider it like I will count them in the books I have read for for a year. I will pass the quiz on who read the material every time. Yeah, like I read those books. Yeah, and a nice person also read them to me. Yes, exactly. Nah, not gonna happen. I'll stick to my podcast. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Um, but that, I think that was really the only, in my, my time away from the, I mean, granted, I kind of covered this, but, um, I did spend a lot of time writing and, or like reading, you know, scholarly journals on my dissertation topic, which is culturally responsive teaching for those of you who are interested. Um, I have, uh, delved into the first quarter to half of the new biography, newish biography by David Blight of Frederick Douglass. Mm. Very, very good little heavy you know it's kind of tough to get into because it's like i mean it's a 36 hour audiobook wow. which is pretty hefty um so he's getting a lot of good press for uh and deservedly for this biography it's called frederick Douglass' prophet of freedom uh, but it is by far the most in-depth biography of douglas um yet published and um really really strong um from from what i've you know i've i still got quite a lot of it to go but but very very good i'm reading dr peter carmichael who is a professor at gettysburg college i'm reading his war for the common soldier which is just you know different he's looking at um like the primary sources so letters that the soldiers wrote and examining different areas so like providence religion desertion and all that and i am about i'm more than halfway through and it is an excellent well-written book it's if you're thinking it's going to be like kind of the intimidating and i'm not meaning to put down academic writing at all like but some people are kind of like they get intimidated by it it's not like that at all it is just he weaves such a great story with each chapter and you know sometimes i'll be t- like i'll be like holy shit like really that hat like that happened or um but it is an excellent book and i highly like i'm not done it yet but i highly recommend it so war for the common soldier by dr peter carmichael yeah i heard him talk about it on the tattoo historians podcast mm-hmm. and then that is on my list as well as the frederick one so yeah but they are not on my audiobook list they are <laughs> electronic book list actually so um yeah what have you read nick me oh shit i don't know (laughs) bunch of lincoln stuff gettysburg crap uh some star wars that's about it nothing wrong with star wars no no not at all Uh, did you not see uh what my what jerry did after we were at chattanooga yeah he stuck Thomas's head on top of uh, Obi Wan's. Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, he's like, it's over Long Street. I have the high ground. I did see that, and I liked it. Hopefully, I liked it. Well, uh, we were up on um, Snodgrass Hill, and he's like, "Is this where Long Street, or is this where Thomas stood and said, it's over Long Street? I have the high ground with his lightsaber." Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, that's what he. George Lucas, 
Use yeah. that as inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Jerry took it back to Star Wars. He's a Star yeah, Wars fanatic. Really in the line, yeah. Another Chattanooga reason. is pretty cool, though. So did you go? You went back to Chickamauga and, yep. and did that whole thing. Easter weekend, yeah, we went back, That's and awesome. I actually met up with uh, my friend Jessica, who is a fellow Civil War nerd, and her brother Michael. And the four of us all got to hang out for the day. And she's actually, um, she's in a wheelchair, and she went like off the beaten path with us and we went awesome. yeah it was re- it was really great we actually were up on snodgrass hill so we went down this one path and we were we realized we were right where Longstreet's men were charging up at thomas and that was a really interesting perspective to have um the one good thing about as i call it battlefielding with my husband is that he is really good at reading the sun. Like he'll look at the maps, he'll read the stuff and then he'll be able to interpret it for me because I can't, I don't have that brain that I don't either get that can do that. And like, let me tell you when we, cause we're avid NFL fans. Um, he doesn't have a team. I have teams, Browns and Packers. Um, but anyway, but he can watch an NFL game and he can be like, okay, they're going to do this. And this play is going to happen. And he can kind of predict how it's all going to play out. And he can explain it in a way that I understand it. But he was able to explain to me how the Battle of Snodgrass Hill, like, or this, like, what happened there unfolded. And he was like, oh, yeah, and the Union line is extending. He's like, you know where the visitor center is? It's all the way back there right now. And I'm like, that. I said, that's like a mile long. How is that possible? But he's able to just somehow read the stuff. And even though he doesn't, study it he can interpret back what they're doing yeah i i'm with you mary i'm not very good at that and sometimes it's hard like i think we like just the three of us have a really can kind of talk to probably a lot of people about battlefielding because nick walks every inch of the battlefield you get into the details of it and kind of all that stuff and i have two small children. So like we just kind of got to, you know, mm-hmm. I got to gauge that. And I spent a couple hours at the battlefield and it's lovely, but you know, I try to talk to my kids about what happened and kind of try to get an idea for it. But it's, there's, you know, obviously I'm not walking the battlefield. Um, you know, we've got attention spans that are a little shorter than adults and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so like I kind of have that perspective, which I think is a little bit uh, different than, than your perspectives. Um, which is why Gettysburg is, is like the, like if you're going to go to a civil war battlefield, go to Gettysburg or Antietam. Mm-hmm. Cause those are the two where you're in my, from what I can say from my experience, the easiest to see the battle. Like you can stand, especially from our last episode, day three, when you're at Gettysburg and you stand on Little Round Top, you can envision the Union line, mm-hmm. you can envision the Confederate line, you can see Pickett's charge coming, like you can you can picture in your mind's eye how things happened. Antietam, there's Bloody Lane, there's Burnside's Bridge, you can see it for the most part. Chickamauga huge like there's just so much land there and like it's just hard to it's hard to just kind of get an idea of how that happened yeah um no obviously there's some smaller ones like chattanooga like if you're if you go to chickamauga then you go to chattanooga you you know go up on the mountain that's obviously a little bit easier because like it's it's small and you can see where they try to come up the mountain Mm -hmm. um lookout mountain but and it's beautiful and it's super cool and unique um but as far as like getting an idea of what a Civil War battlefield looked like, Antietam, I would recommend Antietam and Gettysburg. Now, that said, I've, I haven't been to Shiloh. Um, I haven't been to many battlefields in the West. Chickamauga and Vicksburg are really the only ones I've been to, you know, and, you know, the, bat- the battlefields around Chickamauga. So, um, but yeah, I, it's, there's no wrong way to do it, I suppose. Like you're going to, they're, I think that battlefielding is just such a great thing to do because like that, this is the really the only real war that, that, that the battlefields are for the most part preserved. Um, they're national parks. There's experts there who can tell you what happened. 
Um, and you can kind of try to envision it a little bit. Um, there's some, you know, issues with monuments and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, we've gotten into before, but, um, yeah, I, I, I would recommend it. And, you know, if you have any questions at all, I think you can send them to us. Cause like between the three of us, we battlefield differently, each of us. And I think we have different things that we take away good and bad from, from doing that. Yeah. And well, actually, funny last episode, Nick and I were talking about doing a real splitter trip to Gettysburg. I'm down. Nick and I are going to walk and I'm sure you'll <coughs> go with us, Jeremy. What are we going to walk, Nick? We're going to walk the entire union line. That's right. I've already done it almost three miles. That's nothing. No. Yeah. That's Unless nothing. you have an eight year old and a five year old, then it's something yes. that I would not recommend. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> my kids are troopers. Don't get me wrong. They're awesome. And they'll walk They're You know, they're active kids, but that's a lot. At Chattanooga, we were, uh, Jer wanted to go to Bragg's where Bragg's headquarters were. So we parked mm-hmm. the car and I'm like, how far is it? He's like, Oh, it's not that far. So we're walking. I'm like, geez, what have we gone? He's like half a like mile and a half or something like that. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> Walking, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And then I was going to go, I was going to do a Facebook live from there and I couldn't because there was no cell phone mm. reception. So walk all the way back. But it was still, I still enjoyed walking it because I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm still walking on the battlefield. I'm going out to where he was. And then I realized like where he was was so far back from where the battle is being fought. Like he was and I think really far back. Like the distance and the number of people are the hardest things for me to yeah. wrap my head around. Cause like every time I go to like a Cubs game or something where there's a lot of people I'm like, okay, this is how many people were on one side of Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I go to the Cubs game, there's 41,000 people. There's twice this and more at Gettysburg. <laughs> like, it's just incredible, you know, like you're like in a traffic jam or like traffic jam getting out of a sporting event or a concert or something. Like, man, that is just the, the sheer numbers of it. That's what's kind of hard for me to kind of picture, too. Like, you can kind of see Pickett's charge, but like, mm-hmm. can you see the thousands of people? Yeah. Like, you see where it happened, you know? It's just, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just an interesting and unique experience. And I think going through battlefields is, yeah. Well, when you know, and that's and that's really formative for me. We, you know, I took a vacation when I was ten years old or nine years old to a lot of the battlefields in Virginia, in Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and Maryland, and you know, that was. So I had that experience as a young person, and I think that shaped a, a lot of kind of how I've become interested in the Civil War. Um, I guess just since we're talking about it, part of while I was working the podcast, um, actually just a couple. Well, I guess it is a couple weeks ago now. Um, I did visit Vicksburg with my family. So we took a road trip that ended up being just shy of 3,200 miles. Um, So we went down, spent a couple days in St. Louis and went down through Arkansas. And as we were going between Arkansas and Mississippi to between Little Rock and Jackson, we stopped in Vicksburg. Um, And I would recommend going to Vicksburg to anyone who's interested in Civil War battlefields. Um, I kind of approached it like saying like, Hey, we could stop here. And it was one of those things like we could either stop in Memphis or stop in Vicksburg. I really wanted to stop in Memphis cause there's really cool stuff in Memphis, but because we wanted to see the state Capitol in Jackson and they close at five and you know, we would have spent hours in Jackson and or in uh, Memphis anyway. So we ended up going to Vicksburg. I'm really glad we did. Um, but I'm thinking like, it's a siege, like what, what's there going to be to see at a, a battlefield that was a siege? Well, of course there was a battle there before there was a siege. Um, and it was really, really worth the trip. Um, and I would, I would definitely recommend it. Um, just because of the way that the land is now, this is coming from somebody who lives in Northern Illinois. So like there it's hilly and beautiful and, you know, it's certainly beautiful in um, the summer and we're there within, you know, certainly the time of year that the siege was happening. Um, but they've done a really nice job preserving that, that area. Um, it's right along the Mississippi river, obviously. Um, so, uh, and have either of you been to Vicksburg? Nope. It's on my bucket list. Oh, it's, it's, it's very cool. So, um, now the one thing about Vicksburg, you think, so when you go to Gettysburg, the one thing that's kind of striking, um, is that, 
everywhere you go, there's a monument to this unit, this brigade, this whatever. And it's just, you know, and, and many, many Civil War battlefields are that way. Chickamauga is certainly that way. Antietam's that way. Um, at Vicksburg, there are more than 1,400 monuments. It's insane. Like, wow. it's like one after the other after the other. Like, it's tons of them. Um, so, like, it's, you know, usually it's where the unit was, and you, you know, try to kind of wrap your head around it. Um, the signature monument of Vicksburg is the Illinois monument. Illinois, uh, through donations and whatever, uh, adjusted for inflation, it's like a four, they spent $4 million in today's money on this monument. It's beautiful, domed, a lot of, you know, uh, marble steps up to this big domed um, monument, and it lists every single person from Illinois who was in the Battle of Vicksburg. It's got a Lincoln quote. It's got a Grant quote. Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses Grant's names are um, featured prominently in there. So very, very cool for that particular monument, especially if you're somebody from Illinois, like I am. Um, But every state in the war has their own monument. And then, of course, Kentucky has two and Maryland has two, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've got a Confederate monument and a a Union monument. Um, For this is obviously the Abraham Lincoln podcast. So for your Lincoln uh, Lincolnophiles out there. Uh, the Kentucky monument is interesting to say the least. Um, so if you go to Vicksburg, you got to kind of keep an eye out for it because there's a, it's, it's not really well marked and you got to walk not very far, maybe a quarter mile, maybe a little bit less. Um, so it's, it's off the road. Most of them, they have like what they call like the, it's the visitor's road or something where you kind of like drive and it's several miles and drive through the whole thing. And most of the monuments are along the road. Um, but this one is a little bit off. So it's, it's a nice path and it's got, it's got mulch on it. And so you go back to this, to the Kentucky monument and it's a depiction of a meeting between Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, mm-hmm. because both of those people were born in Kentucky. So the Kentucky monument is this, Conversation between Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, which never happened. Um, so it's kind of this idea of this like reconciliation, this shaking of the hands, this coming togetherness of Lincoln and Davis, which of course never happened. And it's very much of this kind of glossing over of the animosity or the the fact that you have a country in rebellion. Um, and it, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the whole idea. Um, and when you know seeing it, it you know of course it says you know it's got some some quotes on the ground i can't remember what you know something i'm looking at about, it right now and it's, mm-hmm. it says soldiers from border state kentucky fought on both sides during the vicksburg campaigns they served in the units listed here the people of the commonwealth of kentucky salute all these soldiers for our state yeah and that's you know it's and it, it has a you know united we stand divided we fall or something yeah. along those lines like kind of written on the on the ground so like it's cool and the fact that like i i like stuff like that i like to see like lincoln monuments and whatever else and you know kind of to to see how that stuff has come up and whatever but like it it, it very much lends itself to people saying like wow lincoln and jefferson had a conversation like they did, but not any time when they were both the presidents of their respective yeah. so-called nations. Um, like they certainly didn't like when they, you know, and I don't know if they were in Congress at the same time or not, but um, yeah. So I understand what Kentucky and the folks who put that up were trying to do. Um, yeah. It definitely says United we stand divided. We fall. So uh, it's interesting at, at, you know, I suppose, but it's, it's just, it just didn't happen. Um, there is a really good grant monument at Pittsburgh, right where his headquarters was. He's on a, he's on a horse. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's pretty cool. So it's up on a hill. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, they have a very good monument to the African-American soldiers who fought at Vicksburg. Um, it received a little bit of criticism because it, it looked like it was very much contemporary and it looked like it could have been a Vietnam memorial or any, any war 
Um, but it's, I thought it was pretty cool that they had that. Um, but yeah, Vicksburg, super, super cool. Um, there's also a, you can visit the USS Cairo and I say Cairo because I believe it was named after the city in Illinois, which is pronounced Cairo, Mm -hmm. um, which was a river vessel that, um, uh, a civil war battleship, I guess, um, that sank up river just a little bit from Vicksburg and they found it in like the 1950s. And they've restored it enough where you can kind of walk out on it. Uh, but it's a really cool display, and you can really see what a what a Union gunboat uh, or a Civil War gunboat, I guess, for that matter, looked like. Um, and that's kind of a feature of Vicksburg that's a little different than the rest of the battlefield and definitely worth checking out. So I would recommend visiting Vicksburg uh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely on my bucket list of places to see it, Shiloh. Um, just all those Western, um, where the Western battles took place. Cause that's more the, I mean, I don't like to be biased in my study of the civil war, but I do tend more towards the Western theater. I think because of, um, let's face it, my love of Sherman <laughs> and just, <laughs> and just kind of the other generals there that I've become attached to like Thomas, um, and Grant was there too. Uh, I still have, um, I find with the Eastern theater, I mean, I still love studying it too. And in researching Gettysburg, I've really become a ca- attached to governor K Warren and just what mm-hmm. he, what he did like the, like as Nick said in, um, I think it was day two of Gettysburg on our second episode of it. Like he, we both said he's the unsung hero of Gettysburg. One of the three stars of the game. Yes. Hockey salute. Yeah. Oh, a little hockey, little hockey. Yeah, that's what there. we did. Yeah, hockey salute. Yeah. Um, I, I also, um, and it's interesting you say that, and I don't know if it's, because I, I think, and maybe it's just me personally, but I feel like a lot of people, at least for from I'm from, just gravitate toward the Eastern theater and like really mm-hmm. look at Antietam and Gettysburg and, Appomattox and um you know just almost the the west is almost a, an afterthought mm-hmm. um you know and perhaps just because i never visited those battlefields um and it you know and, and i think tourism may have even played a part in that because like you can go to many of those major like you can you can like not leave virginia and go to like countless battlefields you know yep. chancellor well obviously not countless but like chancellorsville and appomattox and um you know manassas and all of those places and they're like not that far from each other then you go to richmond and go to the confederate white house and go to washington and you know like it's all right there ford's theater and all this other stuff like you can have like a whole civil war vacation and only drive you know a few hundred miles and it's really cool well then you go to the you know, you got to want to go to Vicksburg. You got to want to go to Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of people's just experience with the Civil War is just so much gravitated toward the East, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. that um, not a whole lot of folks focus on the, on the West. And I think that that's a perspective that sometimes gets missed when folks learn about the Civil War, at least at least from where I, what I experienced mm-hmm. as a learner of the war. No, I, I agree, too. You know, my high school history trip, we went to Gettysburg. And just the more in depth I've become in the Civil War, I find like the Western theater, I don't want to say it gets forgotten, but you know, I think it's easier for people to go to Gettysburg and Tedham and Richmond. And they, you know, they don't think of like Vicksburg, Shiloh, because Shiloh is very out of the way, I mm-hmm. think, um, compared to other battlefields. Yeah, it is. Um, but I'm always telling people like, go to Chickamauga. It is an amazing place to see because there was a lot that happened there that helped to save the Union. And just what I stumbled upon, you know, this plaque, which was where at Ringgold Gap, where Sherman basically, you know, I know they say the March of the Sea began after the fall of Atlanta. But if you talk to people who live in Ringgold Gap, they'll tell you it began there. And there's a plaque there. And to be able to stand there is, like, for me, it was a really uh, an amazing moment. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, 
he's my favorite general. He's somebody I've studied very intensely. And so many people don't know that that place exists. Mm-hmm. I, I think my theory is I mean, geography plays part of it, but I think, I think it's uh, where the stuff was written. Mm-hmm. You know, the first people write about it are the news. Yeah. And then the bigger cities were in the East. So I think that plays a role in it. I think, a big part of Civil War tourism is the South and fans of the Confederacy, whether we like it or not, whether that's good or bad. And the Confederacy, especially after the war, they're doing and spending more time writing the history. The West doesn't play well into their narrative. You know, Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia, that fits their narrative of what they want to talk about. So I think that plays a huge role in it, too. So I think it's a lot of where the history was first written that's really dictated and led to where the tourism is at, in my personal opinion. And then the West doesn't just fit into a lot of those um, narratives very well. I completely agree with what you're saying, Nick. And I think that's why Gettysburg, you know, I mean, Vicksburg was clearly the more decisive victory when Pemberton surrendered on July the 4th. But because of where Gettysburg was, the newspapers are getting the story quicker. It's the same with Antietam. It's the same with Fredericksburg. Um, you know. And Gettysburg's a lot more compelling to write about it, than Vicksburg. It is. And, and, Chick- and Chickamauga is a complicated battle. And let me tell you, gentlemen, we've had a request from one of our listeners. They want an episode about Chickamauga. Plus, Chickamauga so damn hard to say. Like people were like, "What the fuck is this?" Well, that's what the border guard asked me when I when I was going over when we were when we left on. uh, So we left Thursday night before Good Friday, and he's like, "Where are you going?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to visit uh, Chickamauga Battlefield," and he actually said to me, "Chicka what?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I said, "Chickamauga, I'm going to Chattanooga." You got mad at the Canadian Mountie because he didn't know where it was. Not a Canadian neck. Was an American? Yes. Well, that makes even more sense because I'm sure Canadians know way more <laughs> was, about the. It was the American asking me, like, you're chicka what? That makes even more sense. <laughs> Probably thought you were talking well, about chicken nuggets. <laughs> I think it's part of it too is like that's where the people are. Like, there's yeah. so, like, like one, one thing I took away from my visit to Boston two or three years ago, like, the way Boston is like there's Boston and Cambridge and, you know, a bunch of other bunch of different municipalities, Charlestown and whatever, like each city had a monument to their civil war soldiers there in Illinois. We don't have that really. I mean, there's some, but like there just weren't that many people in the West at that point in history it was much more of a geographic, you know, it was an advantage to control the Mississippi river. It was an advantage to cut off and divide the South in two cutting across where you have the, you know, if you, if you cut them across North of Tennessee and South of Tennessee or, or thereabouts, um, it was much more strategic in that way. But like, you've got most of the people in the country lived on the East coast or, or, or over there. Most of the people in both the Confederacy and the union, lived over there so i think that's kind of where that where those narratives also came from but i mean i I don't think it's too you know dissimilar to like world war ii like to stand on the beach in normandy where the canadians and americans had a you know very significant victory and you know to look at the nazis as the foe and all this other stuff like there's just it's just super difficult to visit the pacific because they're you know they made how many normandy style landings in the pacific but they just don't have the romanticism. They just don't have the the narrative. You know, obviously they weren't at the same scale. I get that. But like, it's just the, the Pacific theater, I think, and at least in education and what people think of it to a large extent, it's just not the same in the Pacific as it is in the um, European theater. Mm-hmm. Similar, I think, to the, to the West in the Civil War. It's hugely important. I, you know, could not have won the war without it, but it just oftentimes gets overlooked. Um, and if it weren't for grants being in, in many um, narratives, the hero of the war being from the West and then coming, um, or maybe I guess that's a question to what degree does grant does, does 
does Grant's story arc play into this where like he was in the West and they brought him, you know, brought him up to the big leagues and you know, put him in the, the army of the Potomac. Like how does that play into it? Um, but then again, when you've got two capital cities situated in the East, not that far apart from each other, um, I think that also plays a role. So this is all very like super interesting, but I think there's just so much to be learned by going to battlefields mm-hmm. in the West and the battlefields in the East are great also, but um, to kind of look at the importance of both of them. No, I, I agree. Having been, and I mean, you've been to the Vicksburg, mm-hmm. uh, Nick, you've been to Shiloh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeremy and I have both been to Chickamauga and, I think, you know, for me being at Chickamauga, really standing on Snodgrass Hill, it really made me, it really hit home for me what Thomas did there. That, and when, like, Jerry was able to explain to me, he's like, oh yeah, this whole line is extending from where we stand. And then he, he said, it's, it's this far. He said, it's nearly a mile. And I said, well, what, like, what point do I have to visualize that? He said, they're at the visitor center. And I was like, holy, like, I just, I couldn't believe it. That that's how long the union line was extended. And, you know, that stand he made at Snodgrass Hill was like a huge thing. I mean, even though Chickamauga ends up as a union defeat, what he did there was very heroic. But then the subsequent battles, you're like Missionary Ridge and Lookout Mountain, they're so significant for opening that pathway into Georgia to helping to end the civil war. Yeah, for sure. And I think we, when we, when we teach, you know, I always look at things as an educator teaching the civil war, I, you know, I've got all kinds of thoughts on like the degree to which we should teach the civil war, but like just basically looking at those theaters is, is just equally important is, is definitely something to check out. So Shifting gears a little bit, just to give you another update on my travels. Like, I hope this doesn't feel like we've like I've invited you over to my house to show you like a slideshow of my vacation Not at photos. All. But, <laughs> um, uh, we also spent some time in St. Louis, um, which is, um, I think that what I kind of gained from that is, you know, I I was in Atlanta for a while for a conference, and then we took the family to St. Louis. Like, there's always history you can find, and there's almost always Civil War history you can find. Certainly, if you're east of the Mississippi. Um, but in St. Louis, um, we went to Grant's farm, which is named of course, after Ulysses Grant and just saw two places where Ulysses Grant lived, uh, the dent home, which is now the Ulysses Grant, that uh, is a national park. Um, and then of course he lived on a, on a, in a cabin on Grant's farm. Um, but I think it's an often overlooked element of Ulysses Grant's life that he did live in Missouri and it was on a place where people were enslaved. Um, and he married into a family who enslaved people. Um, so that was, uh, it's, it's definitely worth a visit to go to that particular national park right outside St. Louis. Um, and uh, I had a kind of interesting experience to try. That was the first time that I had visited a place with my children where people had been enslaved. So to try to um, talk about what that meant for, what that was uh, to my children was the first time I had done that. So that was an interesting experience as well. Um, but, uh, I would recommend going to Grant's farm. It's kind of just cool. You get to see a bunch of animals. It's fun with the kids, but there's also, um, a couple places where Ulysses Grant lived. I would recommend it's, um, for me personally, I liked it because if you've been there and you've also been to Galena, Illinois, where Grant lived, for a time as well, you kind of get an idea of how the Mississippi River and Illinois and Missouri kind of played into Grant's life. I have not been to his like the area of Ohio where it was more of his childhood, uh, but to get a kind of an idea of uh, his adult life. So, for those of you who don't know, um, he was stationed outside of St. Louis and ended up going to I believe it was his roommate at West Point was a dent, and he went to visit him and, and ended up meeting his sister fell in love with Julia Dent. And of course, Julia Dent was ended up being his wife and the first lady of the United States and everything else. Um, but uh, I think that that particular piece of Grant's life is very important to understanding him and um, kind of his 
feeling because you know he he married into this and, and going to that site you can see like they're a successful wealthy family um and kind of seeing how he wasn't very successful wasn't wealthy at all how his his failures in business may have taken a played a role at least in maybe his development and then his success in in the war and, and leading him to the white house and um, then living, you know, a success in the war, then living in Galena and then going to the white house. So definitely a cool, uh, thing to check out in St. Louis. Um, among other things, there's the Dred Scott courthouses or there's a Dred Scott monument, which is pretty cool. And some other things that have some civil war implications, but, um, that was definitely something to, to check out. So, uh, also in my travels saw several Confederate monuments cause we kind of did the South, 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 South. Um, and uh, we went to the Capitol in Little Rock and then Jackson, uh, Baton Rouge, um, Austin, Texas. They love them. They love them. Some John Bell Hood, uh, who's his adoptive nice. state of Texas. Yeah, uh. they really. <laughs> um, which was that was the one monument because it's, sometimes it's like um, you don't know who the monument is for. That one was very clearly for John Bell Hood. I will say this uh, something that did interest me. And I'm not sure exactly which capitals it was, but I believe it was both Arkansas and Mississippi. Um, they had few monuments to specific people from the Civil War, but they had monuments dedicated specifically to the women of the Confederacy and the role they played in the war. Mm. Yeah, that was very interesting to me, too, like to see that they had... Because you don't, you know, it's unfortunate but true. You, you don't see a whole lot of statues or monuments or memorials for women, and so it's like <laughs> with this weirdly conflicting feeling of like they're acknowledging the the invaluable experience or contributions of of women to the con- Confederate cause but it's the Confederate cause, you know? So um, you don't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a monument to women in the North. I'm sure there are a few, um, but like at the state Capitol, which is a pretty significant spot, you know, there's not a whole lot of real estate for, for monuments. Um, I, I found it very interesting that, that they very much respected and, and honored specifically the women of the Confederacy. Um at a couple different state capitals in the South. Um, so it, you know, kind of a unique little conflict of, you know, honoring people who are marginalized while also being a Confederate monument. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we are almost at time as much as I hate to end this discussion. Mm-hmm. It's been really no, awesome. No, no. Um, so I guess that means we're going to move on to our, uh, weekly features so of the people by the people to begin with who's got one <laughs> i'm so ill prepared i've been away from a while no it's okay if you don't have one don't worry about it i'm getting there i'll have one actually i have one and it's the one nick re- would not read <laughs> oh yeah go ahead granted he's my friend randy but he left us a, us a review on Facebook. Oh, nice. Rail splitters. In recent episodes, you've asked for listeners to review the podcast. You've mentioned, you've then mentioned something called iTunes. Quick research indicates this may be part of a cult. <laughs> <laughs> I listen on Stitcher. I don't see options on there for reviews, so I came on here to tell you the show is excellent. Nick and Jeremy, you guys are great. But you know what? You know that Mary makes the show, right? Good pick up there. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thumbs up. I disagree. Yeah, no. <laughs> As I'm shaking my head and texting him saying, no, don't do this. Um, put me down for five stars. Paste him wherever you'd like. Keep up the great work. Nice. Thank you for yeah, that. Thank you, Randy. Kind of you. Even though you don't like me. But anyways, no. <sighs> Almost, we need to change your name to almost everyone's favorite rail splitter. Yeah. I, Field Generals, on Twitter, tweeted this at you, uh, Mary. Never bought a Funko before, but I think this guy would look great in the workspace. 
and the Lincoln Abraham Lincoln Funko Pop. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, looks pretty awesome. If I see one of these around, it looks like it's at Target. I'm gonna have to pick one of these up. I have one. Oh, nice. I, com- well, I have one, one coming actually. to me in August. What the hell? How does that work? Because I had one of my one of my friends bought me one. Oh, I got you. Was it the person who tweeted you? No, it was Geoff, actually. Geoff! <laughs> what up, Geoff? He got them on eBay. <laughs> Geoff, a.k.a. Mr. Lincoln. Yep. Lincoln belongs to the ages. I like it. All right. Boys, you take one? Taking one off this I don't, week? I don't. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, I will next week. I promise. You have a but, This Week in Lincoln note for us, don't you, boys? Yeah, I do. Yeah, you yes, do. I have a This Week in Lincoln. Uh, a good friend of mine, Brandon, um, who just unfortunately moved out of Illinois. Uh, he moved to Sioux City, Iowa. And I'll post this on our social media. Um but he uh, was kind enough to think of me when he saw a Abraham Lincoln statue uh, in Sioux City, which I'll have to check out. It's a standing full-length Lincoln, Lincoln statue. And apparently, I don't know if this was for a, a Fourth of July celebration or what, but this particular Lincoln statue, when at, at the time of the photo, has a cowboy hat, a couple of Hawaiian lei necklaces, a grass skirt and a seashell bra. Um, so uh, his caption, which I think we should just go with, was "Sioux City knows how to party." Um, <laughs> my my comment to him, my reply to his text was, "Nice, Lincoln actually did love a good seashell bra," and his response was, "I thought it was historically accurate." Uh, so thank you, Brandon, for uh, thinking of us and sending me that picture of uh, Luau Lincoln. And uh, that's our This Week in Lincoln this week. Outstanding. Hey, well, any parting thoughts, gentlemen? I'm just happy to be back on the show. So thanks for having me, and uh, thanks. Good to have you back. And remember, we got a goal for a 100th show anniversary. (laughs) 50 iTunes reviews. So right now... Don't even need to hear the outro. Just go, rate us five stars, and then badmouth us, and it'll be red. <laughs> okay, well, Jeremy, we are so happy to have you back on the show. Thank you. And keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we will see you all again soon.